This episode is brought to you by our sponsors and by listeners like you on Patreon. Bomba's vision is simple. Make the most comfortable clothes ever and match every item sold with an equal item donated. So when you buy Bombas, you are also giving to someone in need. Bombas has designed their socks, shirts, and underwear to be the clothes you can't wait to put on every day. The Webb family over here has used them, and we love them. They're comfy, fun-looking, and come in family packs, which is awesome. I've never seen that before. I use my Bombas socks when I go on runs, and they're extremely comfortable. Everything they make is soft, seamless, tagless, and has a cozy feel. And the Bombas t-shirts are made with thoughtful design features like invisible seams, soft fabrics, and perfect waist so they hang just right. And did you know that socks, underwear, and t-shirts are the three most requested clothing items at homeless shelters? That's why Bombas donates one for every item you buy. So far, Bombas customers like you have helped donate over 50 million items of essential clothing. Go to bombas.com slash purple rocket and get 20% off your first purchase. That's B-O-M-B-A-S dot com slash purple rocket for 20% off. Bombas.com slash purple rocket. Parents, school's out, summer's here, and the kids are back at home with a lot of free time. Go wild with wonder this summer without school. Enroll in a fun, flexible learning experience with over 140,000 online classes and camps for every kid with any interest. Look, as a fellow parent, I get the pressure of finding something engaging and useful for our kids to do over the summer break. OutSchool can help keep them engaged and their minds stimulating their imaginations firing. They offer every kind of class you can imagine, from entrepreneurship to freestyle dancing to art, even magic lessons. There's something for kids of all ages, grades, and interests. We homeschool in the web house, and we plan to get Aurora and Cohen signed up with some out-school activities to keep them engaged in a fun way and help them explore their talents and maybe discover some new ones. Out-school will have your kids loving to learn and having fun doing it. Head over to outschool.com slash purple rocket and use code purple rocket to learn all about out-school summer programs and save $15 on your child's first class. That's O-U-T-S-C-H-O-O-L dot com slash purple rocket to save $15 on your child's first class. Outschool.com slash purple rocket code purple rocket. And don't forget, parents, supporting our sponsors is a great way to support this podcast. And now, back to our show. Previously on Digger... Dylan and his friends made it to the Knower Volcanoes, where they met the Knowers, who turned out to be servants of the light. They told Mora that she was special and that she would be the one to break through. They explained that she would need to lift the next layer, and then they showed Mora and the kids where they could start their dig. As the kids headed to the spot, Kai arrived, seeking the drumrock key. He revealed that he was actually from the surface and had become disenchanted with the world above. So when he dropped down into Underearth, he made it his mission to rile the people up to surface with him and take over the world. But in order to do that, he needed the key to his secret weapon. He fought the kids for it, but they got away, and together they lifted to the surface. When the kids and Grebe reached the surface... They found themselves in Area 51. As they headed into the nearest building, 
Kai found a jetpack and went to fly up their tunnel. And now for episode 11, Area 51. The Purple Rocket Podcast presents... Digger. Dylan and Mora struggled to help Grebe over to the nearest building. Grebe was in considerable pain from the cut Kai had made on his legs. He groaned and whimpered as they shuffled up to the door. Mora started to groan as well. Dylan looked her over in a panic. What's wrong? My skin, Mora said, cowering in the sunlight. It burns. Mine too, Grebe cried. It must be the sunlight, Lainey said, walking behind them. Their skin has never been exposed to the sun. Let's get them inside, Max said, running up and opening the door for them. They ran inside and quickly shut the door behind them. Once they were all in, they collapsed on the floor of the dark room and Moore and Grebe let out a gasp of relief. That was terrible, Mora said, relieved by the darkness of the room. I have never felt anything so painful in my life. And the air... She struggled to take a breath. It is so light and difficult to breathe. I'm sure it's way different up here, Dylan said, noticing the change himself. Hopefully your body can get used to it. But for now, he took a look around. We need to find a way out of here. (laughs) Out of here? Max scoffed. Are you kidding me? There's nowhere I'd rather be. Dill? He grabbed Dylan and shook his shoulders. We're in Area 51. You keep saying that, but what does it mean? Morris said impatiently. This is where all sorts of top secret stuff is hidden. Captured aliens from outer space, UFOs. It's basically my dream to find out what's here. Mac, Laney looked at him dully. You realize that this place is just a testing facility for the Air Force, right? Everybody knows there aren't actually aliens here. My cousin's in the Air Force, and he said they're just building a bunch of lame drones or something. (laughs) Well, your cousin's a lame drone, because I know for a fact that this is the official meeting place for aliens and humans. (laughs) It's all over the web, Laney. I don't care what's here, Dylan interrupted. I just care that we get out of here now. Air Force Base or Alien Test Lab, either way, the security has got to be insane. So we've got to lay low and see if we can find a way off the base. Where are we? Grebe asked, still wincing painfully. Mac raised an eyebrow at him. Seriously, big guy? We literally just went over this. We're in a top-secret alien... 
No, this room. It's too dark to see anything. Dylan cracked the door so he could see the light switch on the wall. When he flipped it, the fluorescent lights hummed on above. In front of them was a sprawling warehouse full of tall shelves holding endless boxes. Whoa, Lainey said, putting a hand to her chest. You could have given us a heads up, Dylan. There could have been someone in here with us. Sorry. Mac looked around the room, shocked and disappointed. What in the... This is it? A bunch of stupid boxes? Where are the aliens? Keep your voice down, Dylan whispered. You're gonna get us caught. He looked around the room. It was pretty anticlimactic. The warehouse was about as interesting as an abandoned storage unit. The only thing worth noting was the gross-looking drinking fountain on the far wall that was falling apart and had mold growing on it. Still in denial, Max started digging through the boxes on the shelves. Wires, light bulbs, toilet paper. Ugh, look, it's not even the good stuff. And what's this? He tore open another box. Twinkies? He held the box of pastries up to the others. Okay, actually, this is a pretty good find because I'm pretty sure these things aren't made on this planet. They're out of this world good and never go bad. Max started to drool a little. Giving into the temptation, he reached into the box, but Laney swatted it out of his hand before he could grab one. It's an Air Force facility. Stop messing around. Look, another door. Morris said, pointing to an exit at the far end of the room. Perfect, Dylan said. He noticed a cart by a stack of boxes nearby. Maybe we can push your dad around in this. Push me around, Grieb said defensively. Father, we cannot carry you everywhere. Please, sit. Mora helped her dad onto the cart and then pushed him towards the exit. Grieb wasn't too happy about it but he knew it wasn't realistic to expect the kids to carry him everywhere. When they stepped through into the next room, their eyes widened. They were standing in a brightly lit white tube of a hallway. The curved walls were made of plastic. Mac looked like he'd just stepped into Santa's workshop. Now this is what I'm talking about. Juice to the E, baby. He held his arms out and spun around. Hey, Dill, check it out. I'm being abducted. Arr! Max shuffled backwards and waved his arms, pretending to be sucked towards the other end of the wall. Dylan had to admit, the hallway did look otherworldly. Even Laney looked surprised. Keep it down, you fool. Moore snapped Mac out of his celebration. But it was too late. They heard voices on the other side of the thin wall, and everyone quickly ducked down and watched. The shadows of two men slowly walked by and miraculously didn't seem to notice them. I can't believe this is happening, one of them was saying. I know, it's crazy, said the other. You think we should check on our families? I'm surprised they're even keeping us here. We probably should. They're saying we're on lockdown and that no one's allowed in or out. We could be here for a while. The voices faded as they passed by. Trying to stay low, Dylan and the others carefully made their way to the other end of the hallway. As quietly as possible, they opened the door and crept in. 
There was a lot less light in the next room, but they could still see thanks to the strange orange lights hanging from the ceiling. It was an observation room with a glass wall that looked out over a big hangar. Mac gasped. On the other side of the window, flying saucers and other strange alien spacecraft were parked in rows. There was one that looked like a big blue pill with a little door in it. A couple more looked like spiky balls with porthole windows. And one, by far the most recognizable, was a classic flying saucer, just like the ones you'd see in old sci-fi movies. A couple of scientists wearing white hazmat suits were standing in front of it and guiding its movements using a remote control. Every time they moved the joystick, the saucer would float up off the ground and quickly jerk from side to side, slamming into the other aircraft parked nearby. The scientists seemed to think this was pretty funny, laughing every time the saucer bumped into something. Lainey didn't seem to think it was very funny at all. She stared out into the room, all color draining from her face. What am I looking at? She slowly turned to the others. What am I looking at? Dylan was too speechless to answer. He watched in awe as the silver disc silently hovered above the ground and emitted a hazy cloud beneath it. He shook his head. Unless the government was secretly making UFOs, this seemed to mean... Aliens are real, yeah, aliens are real. Max started singing. He wasn't at all disturbed by the scene. Hoo-hoo, look who's crazy now, Uncle Pete. Look at him, aren't they gorgeous? He gave the window a big kiss. What is he so happy about? Grebe asked. Are these not aircraft you use on the surface? Mora asked Dylan. Dylan shook his head, still a little dazed. I don't think so. Oh man, check that out! Mac pointed to two more scientists at the opposite end of the hangar who were testing out a huge alien weapon. One of the scientists held the heavy rifle next to his hip and fired it at a big wooden box. <laughs> The box exploded into a thousand pieces that suddenly froze mid-air before turning into slime and splashing down onto the ground. Laughing, the scientists took off their goggles and gave each other a celebratory high-five. I don't like this, Lainey said, stepping back. Guys, this is too weird. Even after being down in Under-Earth, Max said. Come on, Lainey, line up. This is great news. I was right. But are we safe? Mora pressed. Probably not, Dylan said, staring at the puddle of slime that was once a wooden box. Mac was too excited to care what any of them were saying. There's just one thing missing. He marched over to the next door and pushed it open. Mac, wait! Lenny cried. They ran after him and came to a stop in the next observation room. Mac was already standing there, his arms folded, staring through the glass window with a satisfied smile on his face. There you are, he said quietly. As soon as the kids saw what Mac was looking at, Dylan had to cover Lainey's mouth to keep her from screaming. 
The room beyond the glass looked like a hospital wing, and it was lit by uncomfortably bright lights. Two doctors were working on computers by a sink, and sprawled out on the table behind them was an alien. Dylan felt his throat go dry when he saw it. It looked just like the aliens from the movies, with its big, round, hairless head, large eyes, and tiny mouth. But instead of having a short little body, it was long and thin, probably eight feet at least, and partially covered by a blanket. Its skin was pale gray, with tiny webs of pink veins bulging around the curves of its head. Dylan noticed that its chest wasn't moving, so he figured it wasn't alive. They're called the Grave, Max said simply. They're the most common species of alien found at UFO crash sites. Check out that head. It's bigger than a beach ball. It's in great shape, too. Mint condition. Hmm, strange. This one seems taller than usual. Usual? Laney calmed down just enough to glare at him. There is nothing usual about this place, Mac. You've seen what you obviously wanted to see. Can we go now? An intercom sounded in the next room, and the doctors looked up at it. The kids could barely hear the muffled voice making an announcement, and by the time it was done, the doctors were running out of the room. Dylan frowned. What's gotten into them? Something's wrong, Greep said. They looked concerned. Maybe they finally realized there was an alien on the table behind them? Laney suggested. Please, Laney, don't be so naive, Max said, patting her on the shoulder. They crept into the next room, which was just more storage, but far more fascinating than the warehouse. This room was full of strange gadgets and machines. Some looked like huge car engines that floated off the ground, while others looked like clear floating pyramids full of tiny sparks and explosions. Above them, purple slime oozed through the plumbing running along the ceiling. They followed the gooey pipes to the next door, which brought them to another observation room. This room made Mac clap with excitement. Oh man, jackpot! Dylan's eyes bulged when he looked through the glass. It was a film set. On one side of it was the lunar lander on a fake moon surface, and on the other end was a fake space station suspended on cables. Cameras were positioned around them, and the entire backdrop was a green screen. Mac pointed out the astronaut suits hanging on hooks on the set's far wall. Okay, there's a totally logical answer to all of this, Dylan told himself. Ha! Yeah, right, Mac laughed. The only answer is, we've obviously never been to space. Mora noticed that the crystal on her necklace was glowing. Then she felt something behind her. Slowly, she turned to face the wide window on the other side of the room. She gasped. Beyond the glass was a chamber full of glowing crystals. The same crystals found in Underearth. As Morris stepped up to the glass, all of the glowing crystals started to glow in harmony. She held out her large yellow crystal and touched her necklace, both of which were glowing with the other crystals. Noticing the flickering glow in the room, the other kids turned around and marveled at the display. Even Max's blue crystal was pulsing to the light's rhythm. How do your people have these? Mora whispered. 
I have no idea, Dylan said, just as amazed by the display. He noticed abandoned chisels on the floor near the crystals and imagined there had been scientists working in there just a short moment ago. They too were probably called off by the intercom announcement. Had they stuck around a few more minutes, they would have been treated to the light show of their lives. Check it out, Mac nodded to a big skull on a table in the corner of the room. Is that a lower one? Laney asked, recognizing the skull's ape-like shape. Looks like it, Dylan said, squinting at it. They must have dug all these up at some point. Who knows? This is like walking through the weirdest museum ever, Laney complained. Can we please go, you guys? People need to hear about this, Dylan muttered, looking over the crystals. They need to know. They will know soon enough, Grieb said from the cart. We can tell your people right after we warn them of the surface's rise. Let's not lose sight of our mission. They need to be prepared to defend themselves. There are people here, Mora said. Why don't we tell them? I don't know, Dylan said skeptically. I'm not so sure we can trust them. Delth right, Mac agreed. These people are trained to keep the biggest secrets in the world. I doubt they'll help us, at least right away. They'll probably lock us up in one of these display rooms until they can confirm, Laney added, and make us sing songs and watch weird movies and, and do jumping jacks and stuff. Simmer down, Mac told her. Let's just focus on getting out of here, and then we'll try to call a bunch of people, Dylan proposed. If you feel that is the best action to take, then I trust you, Mora said, giving Dylan a desperate look. Dylan touched her arm and felt the zing of energy between them. No matter what happens, I'll take care of you. I promise. Mora nodded and forced a smile. Dylan looked back at the others. Okay he said, looking around. There can't be too many more rooms. Hopefully we'll reach the end of the base soon and then we can head for the gate. I bet you anything this place is covered with surveillance cameras. It'll be a miracle if we get out of here without being seen. Shaking his head, he led the way to the next room, which was a large cafeteria. At the far end of the dining room, a group of scientists were huddled together with their backs to them. Some wore the white hazmat suits, others were dressed in military uniforms. All of them were glued to a small TV screen that looked like it had been wheeled in on a stand. The sound of the news broadcast echoed through the room. More reports are coming in of craters appearing across the western United States. Local experts believe the sudden drop of land masses are linked to the unprecedented seismic activity and landslides. Dylan and the kids stopped to listen. Earthquakes? Many of a magnitude six or higher have rattled nearby cities since just before 6 a.m. this morning, leveling buildings and crumbling streets, making mass evacuation all but impossible. The cataclysmic shaking has seismologists scrambling for answers. Just a moment ago, the United States Geological Survey reported the quakes are not being caused by a grinding of tectonic plates, but are the result of an actual rupture in the plates themselves. It's happening, Dylan whispered. Come on, we're running out of time, Laney said, pushing them on. Crouching low, they snuck across the back of the cafeteria and carefully out the exit. They were finally outside. Luckily, under the shade of a porch, 
but the searing sun loomed just beyond the shadow. At the opposite end of the base, a low rumble shook the tunnel to under-earth. Pebbles bounced on the surface around it. Seconds later, dust exploded out of the hole and outshot Kai. His jetpack clipped the edge of the hole, making it snap off his back and fly wildly through the air, until BOOM! It exploded into a nearby warehouse. Kai flailed through the air before landing roughly on the hard-packed earth. An alarm sounded in the building as he struggled to his feet. Wincing in pain, he blinked up at the blinding sun. He took a second to soak in its warm rays. Then he let out a long, deep breath. As his eyes suggested, he drew his crystal sword and limped along the outside of the base. What was that? Laney cried, hearing the explosion. They watched as the outside guards ran towards the alarm. Dylan shook his head. Whatever it was, I think it just gave us a chance to get out of here. The courtyard was now basically abandoned except for a handful of big military trucks that were lined up at the gate waiting to get out. Dylan noticed that the driver of the last truck had hopped out to run to the bathroom. Now's our chance, Dylan said. We gotta get into the back of that truck. You serious? Lenny snapped. You have a better idea? We could take one of the flying Fothers, Max suggested hopefully. Yeah, that won't be obvious, Lenny said, swiveling her head dramatically. We could have Mora lift us past the gate? Mora shook her head. I am sorry, but after that dig, I do not have enough in me. Those trucks are our only option, Dylan said, growing impatient. He is right, Mora said. We must hurry. Father, cover your skin with your robe. Grebe did as she said, and Mora pulled her robe's hood over her head. Then, together, they ran across the courtyard and up to the covered bed of the truck. As they heaved Grebe up into it, a voice interrupted them. <clears throat> Can I help you? The kids whirled around to see the driver standing behind them, having returned from the fastest bathroom break ever. He was a short, skinny man with curly hair and big glasses. The kids stared at him, speechless. Aren't you kids get on the base? The man asked. They don't do take your kids to work day here. We... Dylan started to say, but he couldn't find the words. We're... We're aliens, Laney blurted. Dylan and Max slowly looked at her. The man raised an eyebrow and stopped chewing his gum. Aliens? Laney glanced over her shoulders, looking concerned and desperate. We are not from your world, she assured him. The curly-haired man went back to chomping his gum and laughed. <laughs> Is that right? They were performing tests on us before we escaped, Laney continued. Her tone was strangely clipped and her voice sounded genuinely desperate. If Dylan didn't know any better, he'd say she was trying to impersonate Mora. The man stopped laughing, but still looked at them amused. What kind of tests? he asked. They were drawing our blood, see? She pointed to the blood-stained wrap around Grebe's legs. They were testing us to see what connection we had to these crystals. Laney pulled Moore's crystal necklace out of her robe, and Moore looked up at the man with her pale face and bright blue eyes, 
strands of her blue hair falling from her hood. The man's smile disappeared. How did they find you? He said quietly. Alien specimens are usually dead when they're recovered. I haven't heard of them finding any live subjects. They found us in Craft B-74 Alpha. We escaped before they could finish their tests. An announcement was made and the men guarding us left, giving us a chance to escape. Dylan and Max shared a quick glance out of the corner of their eye, both clearly impressed. Please, Laney pleaded, help us escape. If you do, our people will reward you greatly. These crystals are nothing compared to the prize we will offer you for your bravery. The man opened his mouth to say something, but then hesitated. He scratched his head. Oh, knife! Stargate! Max said, admiring the man's t-shirt. I love that show! Laney stepped on his foot as the man glared down at him. If you're an alien, how would you know about Stargate? Max swallowed. Because... Because your television frequencies reach our galaxy. Stargate is widely broadcasted throughout our planetary system. It's a huge hit in... space. There was a long silence as the man processed this, and then he punched the air. Ha <laughs> ha! I knew other beings were watching it. It's just one of those shows, you know? It speaks to the caring being in all of us. Max's eyes bounced from side to side. Exactly. You know, I knew there was something alien about you guys, the man said, smiling and wagging a finger at them. Especially you, he pointed to Mac. You've got alien written all over that face. Uh-huh, yeah, that moppy hair and the cheeks, dead giveaway. Max crunched his face and slowly looked himself over. The man glanced over his shoulders and then leaned in. Okay, I'll help you. I, Steve Higgins, will be the hero of your people. Quick, hop in. He helped them into the back of the truck and then hopped into the driver's seat. On the other side of the courtyard, peeking out from behind a building, Kai watched them climb into the truck and grinned. He saw another military truck drive up to the end of the line behind them. Staying low, he ran over and jumped into the cab. The driver let out a little shriek the second Kai appeared in the passenger seat. What? What are you? He reached for his rifle, but Kai sliced off the barrel with his sword. The driver stared at what was left of his gun, and then down at the crystal blade now pointed at him. Follow that truck, Kai told him. The driver nodded emphatically and shifted the truck into drive. One truck ahead, Dylan and the others were slowly moving up the line, but their driver, Steve, noticed that all of the other trucks were turning around at the gate and heading back. He opened the little window between the driver's seat and the bed of the truck. We got a problem, my friends. What is wrong? Laney asked, again trying to sound as alien as possible. It doesn't look like they're letting anyone through. They're sending all the trucks back. You've got to be kidding me, Dylan said under his breath. What are we going to do? Max said. They started arguing amongst themselves. Mac thought they should run back and get a flying saucer. Dylan thought they could try sneaking out on foot. Morris suggested fighting their way through. 
Meanwhile, the truck inched closer to the guard gate up ahead. They were only one truck away. Tuning out the argument, Morris sat back, closed her eyes, and took deep breaths. Focusing what little energy she had left, she channeled the light within her and gradually the crystal on her necklace and the tip of her spear began to glow. The others went quiet. Mora opened her eyes and with a look of determination, threw back her hood, leaned up to the little window and thrust her spear through it. The tip stuck into the truck's ceiling a foot from Steve's face. Steve jumped back and went cross-eyed staring at the spear. If you do not take us beyond that gate, everyone will die, Mora said, the tip of her spear glowing off Steve's shocked expression. Do not turn around. Okay, 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 Steve said, shriveling back in his chair. Yeesh, I didn't realize the stakes were so high. I really am going to be a hero. He sighed. The prize of yours better be humongous. So I'm never going to have a job again if I do this. Hard to work in a world that's destroyed, Max said from the back. Steve bobbed his head thoughtfully. That's true, that's true. Mora pulled her spear out of the truck's roof and sat back next to Dylan. Nicely done, Dylan said with an impressed nod. Mora managed to smile. You surfacers are easily intimidated. Up ahead, the truck in front of them turned around at the gate and they were next in line. Letting out a long, nervous breath, Steve slowly drove up to the gate and rolled down his window to speak to the guard in the booth. Steve couldn't help but notice how heavily armed the guard was as the man stared into the truck through big aviator glasses. We're on lockdown, said the guard. No shipments are allowed in or out. You'll have to turn around. Okay, Steve whimpered, his arms stiff as they reached out and held on to the steering wheel. The guard waited a few seconds and then said, Okay, as in you're turning around? Yeah, 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 sure. Steve wiped sweat off his forehead and chomped his gum a million miles per hour. Hey, buddy, the guard took off his glasses and leaned out of his booth. I'm not going to ask you again. Turn the truck around! Steve slammed on the gas and the huge truck rammed through the closed gate. Stunned, the guard stumbled out of the booth and fumbled for his rifle. But before he could aim for the tires, another truck came roaring up behind him and he dove out of the way. Woo! Steve shouted, bouncing up and down he was so excited. Did you guys just see what I did? Oh, no, but we felt it, Mac groaned from the back. Steve bounced in his chair. We did it! Oh, man, my mom would be so proud right now. Oh, he let out a long breath and shook his head. Oh, it's a good thing I made that bathroom pit stop back there. The kids in Grebe cheered in the back. Their truck kicked up dust as it roared down the desert road. Steve caught his breath and let his head fall back against the headrest, as if he'd just finished a roller coaster. Oh man, that was, that was awesome. I am awesome. Okay, my alien compadres, where are we headed? I'm guessing there's some kind of space station you need to get to. Uh, sort of, Max said from the back. 
Take us to 365 Pendleton Street. Steve stopped chewing his gum. Pendleton Street? Your transport is on Pendleton? Don't ask questions. Just go, Mora ordered. Got it, got it, got it. Steve typed the address into his GPS. I can't believe that worked, Dylan whispered to the group. We need to call all of our families and have them meet us at Max Bunker. Then we can try to call the authorities to warn them about the attack. Like they're going to believe us, Lainey scoffed. Probably not, Dylan said. But we have to try. Lainey, pretend you're an alien and ask Steve to borrow his cell phone. Lainey cleared her throat and assumed her character. <clears throat> Steve, she said calmly. Yeah, Steve said, fiddling with the knobs on the truck's radio. We need to alert our people of our escape so that they can prepare the transport. Do you have some form of communication device with you? Oh, yeah, yeah, of course, of course. <laughs> Here. He handed Laney his cell phone. It was covered in Stargate stickers. Laney made a weird noise and bowed. That is how we say thank you on our planet. Steve was beaming. That was beautiful. Dylan and Mac were holding back a laugh. One by one, they quietly called their parents and with as little explanation as possible, told them to get to the underground bunker at Mac's house. Mac made sure his parents were there to help the others get in. Lainey hung up last. My dad's a registered nurse, she told Greeb. I told him to bring some medical supplies to the bunker so he can fix you up. Greeb squeezed her hand. Thank you. Mac hushed them as Steve turned up the volume on the truck's radio, blaring a news broadcast. At this point, we don't know what they are or who is controlling them, but they appear to be massive ships drilling up out of the ground. The reporter's voice sounded panicked. The sounds of sirens and chaos could be heard in the background. I've never seen anything like it. There are dozens, no, maybe hundreds of them. Huge drill-bit noses grinding through anything in their path. These ships aren't like anything I've ever seen. They're massive, and they're easily breaking through the surrounding buildings. The U.S. military has struggled to fight off the foreign aircraft that suddenly appeared from below the surface. Holy smokes! You guys hearing this? Steve shouted back to them. Does this have anything to do with you guys? Yes, Morris said firmly. Oh, man, okay. I'm kind of freaking out right now. Calm down, Steve, Mora ordered. We're too late, Lainey whispered. Dylan looked up a video feed of the news on Steve's phone. He pressed play and held it up. They huddled around it and watched the devastation unfold on the tiny screen. Huge drill ships were plowing up through the surface and slowly flying through buildings. Flying up the holes behind them were smaller Union and surfacer airships, most painted for battle and strapped with cannons. U.S. military jets and tanks were easily fended off at every turn, and reporters on the ground were struggling to describe what they were seeing as the city crumbled around them. Uh, guys... Steve said, glancing nervously at his side mirror. What? Max shouted back. I think someone's following us. The kids slowly looked up at each other. 
In a flurry, they crawled to the end of the truck bed and peeked out of the closed fabric. Max squinted at the truck behind them. Is that who I think it is? Dylan stared in horror at Kai, who was sitting in the passenger seat of the pursuing truck. With a sinister grin, Kai gave them a cutesy wave. Mora turned back to Steve. Drive faster! The two trucks sped down the desert highway towards the sprawling city in the distance, its buildings shadowed under an enormous cloud of smoke and fire. Hey, Rocketeers, I hope you enjoyed that episode of Digger. There's only one episode left. The grand finale's coming up, so make sure you stay tuned. And Rocketeers, just for the record, we have been to space. Okay, we've been to the moon, we've been to space. Astronauts are real, they've been up there among the stars. This is just a story, it's just fiction, it's just for fun, but I wanted to make that very clear. We have been to space, okay? We need to take a second to do some shout-outs of some of our very special Rocketeers. Jude, Rosemary, Casey, and Eric from Illinois. Thank you guys so much for supporting the show on Patreon and for listening and enjoying this series. You guys are amazing. Thank you so much. Rocketeers. Be sure to check out our Patreon page and be sure to rate and review the show on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to the podcast. And as always, stay tuned for an all new episode coming your way. This is your host, Greg Webb.